The Pace Line is a production of the Cycling Independent, a reader and listener-supported cycling-focused website where every bike is a good bike. And if you ride bikes, you're one of us. Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, dude, this may be the last day of February, um, but we've already had above average rainfall here for both January and February. So I'd like to be, I'd like March to be more rain-free. I'm over over the rain um but weirdly i'd also like to go back to seattle which is very rainy but at least if i go up the mountains i can go skate skiing um it's interesting to hear a californian say they're over the rain it feels like hubris (laughs) to me i'm not gonna lie i understand you've had these atmospheric rivers and you've had uh, you've set some records, but I just think in light of recent uh, years, perhaps you just just zip, you know, just take that rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, people will talk about, oh, it's so great that we're getting so much rain. It does create its own problems. And I'm not even talking landslides. Yeah, weather is tremendously problematic uh, (laughs) almost everywhere all the time. (laughs) Yeah, we're just going to end up with a whole lot more of uh, undergrowth and other, you know, foliage growing like crazy and then drying out in August so that we'll have even more to burn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you are uh, damned to hell uh, by whatever divine beings are in charge of that stuff. That's just a fact. Uh, and a I don't lot know. of preachers in the South. Yeah, however that works. Uh, that's just how it's going. Um, we are, uh, it is extremely windy here today. I would be surprised if some of that didn't make it into my microphone because my house is occasionally vibrating with the wind. Wow. Um, but it appears that winter is over. Well, yeah, that's true here as well. Yeah. I mean, not that we have... A proper winter, but what serves as winter in Northern California, it, it has it has left the building. Yeah, we wouldn't normally be out of winter until you know properly for another month, but mm-hmm. it's been warm. Uh, it the long range forecast is warm and rainy. I just don't see. I think we're going to have mud season, uh, but well, I don't earlier than uh, usual. <laughs> earlier than usual, yeah. Gosh. It's it's a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, before we jump into other stuff, uh, I want to bring up that one of your recent pace line picks is in a pickle and it's worse than a pickle, uh, swerve. Um, the, the folks who make the incredible jeans that I've been thinking I need to buy a pair of, um, they are shutting down operations. Yeah, it's a bummer to me. Um, 
that despite our pick, they did not then reap, you know, massive financial reward. Yeah. 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 It makes me doubt my own power to sway the um, cycling uh, masses. But yeah, it's a bummer. They they seem to be closing down. I You know, it's they've been there for 20 years. Um, I can understand their costs are very difficult to control these days, as are many of the people who do things uh, here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think they are looking for a buyer. Is that true? Yeah, they are looking for a buyer, uh, which is really neat. Um, and, you know, Interestingly, uh, TCI has an awfully well-connected uh, readership and and the Paceline listenership. Um, we know all sorts of people, or at least we reach all sorts of people, and you you never know who this could ping through, and uh, you know a link wind up in the lap of someone. I'd love to see him survive, you know? I sure would, too. I think I really uh, love what they do, um, and I would love to see them go on, and I'm going to see what of their stuff I can get before they shut the door. Right, right, right. Uh, I Yeah, later today, I'm going to go on the site and kick around, and I need to figure out if their stuff actually fits me in my great big American caboose. Um, but yeah, I, I want to try to order something while I still can. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the other thing worth mentioning is that classic season is underway. We've had um, Omloop, Net, uh, Het, Noiseblad, and Kern, Brussels, Kern. Uh, Kern, Brussels, Kern doesn't have a women's race, so I tend not to mention it. Uh, but uh, oops, I already <laughs> yeah. did. Uh, but so there's been those three sort of minor classics, all of them run, won by Visma. Uh, the new version of Visma which is Visma Lisa bike, um, which I've been referring to as Visma Rent-A-Wreck. Uh, but that will only be funny for a certain American listener. Uh, but yes, um, uh, Valt Van Aert uh, has won one race. Mariana Voss won the women's version. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all Visma all the time. <laughs> but if you are if you were unaware that classic season was underway now might be a good time to pay attention to your Eurosport feed um i i like the the Eurosport cycling feed and i also like for after um analysis to check out lantern rouge which is a a great little they make great little uh, analysis videos yeah yeah very cool all righty well let's get into your poll what what are we dealing with today? So this week I posted the on TCI the first video from the Call of a Lifetime series, which is about the Lifetime Grand Prix. Uh, first season it was six races. I think it's seven this year, um, all owned by Lifetime. Um, and I, I the marquee races that Lifetime owns are the Sea Otter Classic. An unbound gravel, but there are a, a bunch of others that are great races. They made a series of videos about that inaugural season, and it is a good and well-made uh, peek at what high-level off-road racing looks like in the U.S. right now. Hmm. So that and a recent Sunday night foray for me into Cambridge got me thinking about cycling culture as it is in this moment. 
Um, Sundays, uh, my kid has a volleyball practice just outside Harvard Square, uh, which is about 15 minutes for here from the house. Um, so what you see is you cover that four miles or so in terms of bikes is uh, is pretty interesting. So first, you've got this profusion of city bike people. Mm-hmm. Um, some are on public bikes. Some are on whatever hybrid machine they've got. Some are on newer e-bikes. Um, they've got racks or panniers or bags with them. And then mixed in, you've got like a parade of roadies who are coming back into town from big rides out in the western suburbs because that's a popular place to ride. Mm-hmm. Every so often, you get a mountain biker mixed in, someone who hoofed it up to the Middlesex Fells or the Western Greenway or maybe even landlocked forest. Um, what I noticed as I was driving along, even at the lights, is that very few cyclists interact out on the road. Um, there's not much in the way of chit chat or waving or any of that. Part of which is because this is new England and we mind our own business here. (laughs) Um, another part though, is that the different kinds of riders don't seem to recognize themselves in the other kinds of riders. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It's like the roadies don't recognize themselves in the people who are, hauling their groceries because obviously those aren't serious cyclists right and the people getting their groceries are like look at this guy taking himself so seriously and you know it's just it's odd to me um so put together these two things watching people roll in and out of town and then watching this video about what is basically an attempt to revive bike racing culture in this country it it made me feel a little sad um, though, after some consideration, I think I decided that whatever sadness I was feeling was more a consequence of euphoric recall on my part <laughs> rather than an actual situation that's developed or not, as the case may be. I, I think you've just coined a beautiful new turn of phrase. Euphoric Which is what? Re- euphoric recall. Oh, euphoric recall. No, that's a real thing. I didn't coin that. Oh, like, I would love to take credit. I've never credit, heard but. that before, but I, I get, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. You remember, you're remembering it better than it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'll remember in the late 90s and early aughts, um, we kind of let ourselves get swept into this burgeoning roadie culture, mm-hmm. which, which, like it or not, was inspired by a certain rider's successes in the Tour de France. France, Tour de France, France, France. I stopped saying France. France. Yeah. Why would you say France? I mean, it's fun, I guess. Um, So it felt back then. I think it felt like there were a lot of us, though, in retrospect, I can see that it mostly swept up one kind of person in its arms, which is affluent ish white guys. (laughs) Um, So what what is that culture? Uh, Parallel to that, we had um, fixie culture. And, and maybe because I wasn't yet properly middle-aged during that time, I also rode fixed gear bikes and jumped on some of those bandwagons. Um, and that was its own culture, too. But again, separate from the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I think at the time, I really thought they were connected. Um, uh-huh. And of course, you and I have been riding about bikes for a long time. Mm. And in my mind, all, I've, we've always been treating cycling culture like it was a thing like a definable and discrete thing. And now Mm -hmm. I see it isn't. And maybe it never has been. Uh, And I got to wondering, is that even a problem? (laughs) 
you know, like it felt sad to me. But then I was like, why is that sad? Like everybody's do seems to be doing just fine. Um, do, I mean, I think what we might have is just a loose collection of subcultures clustered around a pretty common hobby. Uh, or mode of transportation. Or mode. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You and I think the the hobby and the mode of transportation are the same thing, but many people who use it as a mode of transportation don't think of it as a hobby and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suspect that, you know, once you've been caught in the rain 40 or 50 times on your way to or home from work uh, and you've just been soaked and chilled to the bone you may not think of cycling as, you know, the thing that you want to do for a good time when you're not uh, engaged in getting from one to the other. Yeah. No, I think that's probably exactly right. I think maybe I've just been fooling myself because I work inside the industry and mar- part of my job is to look at cycling culture. No one can see my air quotes there, but I look at cycling. <laughs> yeah, you can see them. Uh, it, they look like two little rabbits, don't they? Anyway, um, So it's my job to kind of look at it and figure out how to communicate to people who ride bikes. Uh, And what I think I learn over and over again is that there's sort of something there, but it's not actually very clearly defined. And it's often not what I think it is, even though I spend all my time looking at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the end, I guess I think all of that is okay. None of that impinges on my ability or motivation to ride bikes. Uh, It just slightly modifies the story I've been telling myself about bikes and bike culture. And that's probably good Um, not to look at it as some sort of monolithic thing, but more as a collection of individual stories loosely related. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you I mean, what do you think? Does this sound pessimistic or more importantly, does it sound accurate to you? Uh, Well, I don't think you're being pessimistic. I, um, I think you and I have each reached a point in life where we want to see the, the tribes intermingle. Uh, we don't want to, you know, uh, separate them and divide them and subdivide them the way we felt a need to in establishing identity when we were in our thirties. Mm. Um, uh, Michael Pollan's book, uh, how to change your mind <clears throat> includes a really profound observation along the way. Um, And that is that uh, there's this idea that we spend the first 50 years of our lives uh, establishing our ego. And we spend the rest of our lives trying to get the ego out of the way. Mm. Uh, And I, I think that's uh, I think that helps to explain part of what's going on with each of us at this point in our lives as writers of cycling that we don't, we, you know, I'm not a member of, you know, a roadie club where everybody gets dressed up in the same kit every Saturday anymore. Um, I'm not against that, but, uh, that's not the thing I feel a need to chase. Um, you know, some weeks back I bumped into a friend out on a ride, uh, this fellow Philip who lives here in town And he was out with some friends and, you know, most of them were on road bikes, but one was on a hybrid with um, uh, an electric motor that, you know, comes in a kit that you can mount on your bike. Mm -hmm. And so he (laughs) had a a DIY e-bike, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 20 years ago, 
I would have like looked over my shoulder at them as I passed in the big ring and uh, chuckled to myself that they weren't awesome like me. Mm. And generally now I understand that I'm not the awesome one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems true. That's I mean, not specifically about you. I'm oh, sorry. it is specifically true about me. <laughs> yeah, I meant that generally and specifically. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, and I think there's this weird... I've come to see like the need for um, clear outlines and um, discrete identities as a little bit of a weakness, right? I mean, I think that's what that that is actually what divides people f- from one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I probably don't. I mean, I when I pull up at a light on my bike, I say hi to the people that are around me. If if they bother to make eye contact, you know, I'm I'm trying to be. But I mean, I do that at the grocery store, too. So I just think. I just think bike culture, maybe it's better that it is diffuse and various and it's more like a cloud than a box. Well, you know, to to take the uh, compassionate approach to this you know anytime i've gone to one of the great plains states uh you know kansas iowa or i've been in texas uh not austin though looking out on a vast expanse of plain where it's just nothing but soil you know for as far as i can see and maybe two trees Mm mm-hmm it gives me the willies. It's overwhelming <laughs> in its vastness. Yes, and yes. great, great crowds of people are similarly overwhelming to me. And so trying to break that up into more manageable bites, you know, smaller numbers that we can relate better to. I think that's a, uh, just a product of how the human mind works. Um, we want to break things into stuff, into sizes that we can find comprehensible. Uh, nobody likes feeling overwhelmed. Um, and so I, I think that initial drive toward tribalism, you know, we want to find, we want to be seen. We want to find people who we can relate to and who relate to us. Um, and so that's part of what drives the tribalism, Um, And that, you know, ever shrinking, uh, you know, way that we uh, slice up those populations, you know, from roadie culture to individual cycling club, Um, you know, and then even within cycling clubs, the people who are actually racing and the people who aren't actually racing, Mm. you know, I mean, we we're able to slice this up, you know, ad infinitum until it's, you know, just you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And, you know, I think what you're talking about here is a desire um, to see the forest, not just the trees. Right. Yeah. That's that's a really healthy impulse. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. I think um, I I guess I'll keep looking at it. I just don't want to be fooled. You know, as a as a consultant, I, I find myself expressing opinions about what companies, customers want what cyclists like, what they don't like. Um, and you can very quickly slip into inaccuracy. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, th- this is the problem of generalizations is that it doesn't capture a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. Y- you're only seeing, uh, you know, three or four species of trees in that forest and the forest is full of species. Yeah. 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 Well said. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for me, there's the added uh, uh, enforcer of humility um, which is knowing that very often, you know, where I think culture is going isn't where it's going. Um, right. The shortest lived flavors of Cliff Bar were all my favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think I think um, it bears saying we're both middle aged men, but um, <laughs> the youth drive change. Um, yeah. And it's best to to look at what they're doing if you're trying to see the future, but <laughs> probably not looking in the right place. At any rate. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we take a little break and we will then come back. Hi, it's John. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and that you find something you like to read regularly on the Cycling Independent. Increasingly, cycling media is either dominated by clickbait, listicles, banner ads, and cross-marketing campaigns, or it's out of business. We're trying to buck that trend by being a reader and listener-supported site. That's where we gain our independence from a model that's just not working very well. So if you can, please consider our $3 subscription. It's a cup of coffee. It's a beer. It's an amount you can part with. There are $5 and $10 subscriptions, too. If you're more enthusiastic about what we do or more financially secure, have a look at those. But $3 takes us an awfully long way. The point is, we need your support to keep doing what we do. Thanks for considering it. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you got for us this week? I have another question this week, uh, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it's from Shadow Producer John. I believe uh, he prefers producer at large, but oh, um, okay. I okay. like Shadow Producer, so let's run with it. Okay, uh, yeah. So it goes, I quote unquote, here, here, here we go with the rabbit ears again, air quotes. Yeah. I raced last weekend, last weekend, probably meaning months ago, uh, meaning... I struggled along during an event where some people went fast and tried to come in first. Mm. I passed a guy on the side of the road who said he was just fixing his chain. There is, uh, this is uh, now editorializing, pardon me. There is no just fixing a chain. No. (laughs) That is not a thing. Uh, There is the undertaking of fixing a chain, but there's no just fixing a chain. Uh, Maybe he's a lot more clever than we are, but go on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he says, I continued on in solitude until a couple of miles later when chain guy got on my wheel. He never spoke to me, never came around to help, but I was energized by the attempt to offer him the best possible wheel to follow steady pace, straight line, not stopping saying standing when Hills got too steep to stay in the saddle. He stayed back there for 10 miles. Now we get to the question. So. Who did the poll help more? Mystery man or me? Who gets the most out of a poll, both on the bike and in life more broadly? Well, uh, this this poll may not take very long because uh, this one's really easy to answer. Uh, Yes, 
Yes. We. <laughs> oui. um, it helped you both. It's a win-win. And I think wondering who benefited more robs the experience of part of its beauty. I mean, think about it. The mere presence of another rider made him ride better. Mm. I'll take anything that can inspire me. That's wonderful stuff. And, you know, it's a, it's a real miracle of neuroscience the way we can, you know, it, if you get cheered by a crowd during a bike race, that's good for a gear. Mm. That's all neuroscience. Those, mm. That's hormones going to work. Your brain saying, oh, we're going to do this now. Right. Um, and that's just remarkable. And I've been in that position many times of pulling another rider who isn't strong enough to pull through. So I keep my nose in the wind. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that I've always ridden stronger and with greater focus anytime I've been pulling someone else. Um, now, the technical question, who gets the most out of a pull? Uh, you know, there's, well, here's another perspective. In a race situation, both, arri both riders arrive at the same time so the gain is equal on time, though obviously whoever crosses the line first gets a higher placing. Okay. Sure. So there's that. There's another thing, which is uh, two riders together are more aerodynamic than one rider. So automatically there's a gain aerodynamically that way. Mm -hmm. Even the rider in front is getting a benefit. I don't know how to quantify any of this. I've never seen it quantified in any way that you can map out and put in a, a cute little spreadsheet. Um, mm. But the simple fact is, yeah, if, you know, provided they're not six feet behind you, if they're, you know, say one to three feet behind you, you're getting a benefit even as the person who's doing the poll. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, personally though, like if somebody latches onto my wheel, I'm going to say hi. I'm, I'm going to try to engage them and, you know, make it clear that these are two people involved here. Yeah. I confess that, uh, when no words got, when he sat back there for 10 miles and didn't say a word. Yeah, I'm not, that's not cool. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, I think an introduction is in order. I think etiquette, to my sense of etiquette is the person in back should say, hi, mind if I, you know, latch onto your wheel or even, hey, I'm cracked. Do you mind if I sit here? Yeah, I, I don't mind pulling people. And I understand um, uh, uh, John's perspective that uh, he's not going to win that race, uh, mm -hmm. but he'll feel great having helped someone have a better day than they would have on their own. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he was, let's acknowledge here. He was being an absolute gentleman by putting up with 10 miles of somebody, not even speaking to him. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely a gentleman. Anyway, the real question he points to, and the one worth exploring is who gets the most out of a poll in life. I got so much from every poll someone else made on my behalf. And we're now talking in the metaphoric sense. Um, you know, all the people I learned from the, the people who made introductions for me, all those things without those gifts, I wouldn't be here today. Um, in my life today, 
now I'm often in a position to give others a pull and I've come to love doing it. Um, you know, I, I certainly learned to enjoy it on the bike before I learned to do, to enjoy it in life. Um, mm. I was maybe a little slower to develop in the grand sense. Um, we often say that it's better to give than to receive, but you know, that saying has taken on the status of a cliche. We don't really think about what it means. Um, but there's no better example of how giving is better than receiving for me than being a parent. Uh, my life was much easier before I became a dad. And I suppose, you know, as cliches go, that's sort of obvious. Um, mm. But, you know, being a dad is way better than not being a dad as hard as it is. Mm. Uh, so, you know, um, maybe being a dad is the biggest pull of all. Could be. I mean, I think, you know, uh, uh, just a few minutes ago, we were talking about the first 50 years being about, you know, establishing the ego and the next being about getting it out of the way. Yeah. And I, you know, people say, um, what, what is it? What, what's, what did you like about having, have you liked about having kids? And I was like, well, my, I was a, uh, I was a jerk. I was a selfish jerk. I think uh, not the worst, not the, not the worst, but certainly, you know, I was, I was a self-centered uh, person and I, I even had kids for selfish reasons. Um, and, but then they came along and they kind of moved me forcefully out of the middle of my life. You know, they were like, no, uh -huh. it, it's not you anymore, man. <laughs> like you are you are second, third, fourth on the on the list now. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, you know, the gears grind when you try to make that shift. But ultimately, it's been good for me. Yeah, I think one of the things that I, I realized before I quite got there was that becoming a parent was an important piece of the arc of growth that we have to go through if we want to become a fully developed human being. Um, maybe, maybe some of us, I mean, I think, uh, uh, and again, I don't want to like, I don't want that to be, I hear what you're saying. I don't want that to be a comment on people who don't have children being not fully developed. Um, because I yes. think there's plenty of people who are doing just fine and finding their way and they're on their own thing. For me, I, I think I needed to have kids to be a better person. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of that, um, that dog adoption sticker who adopted who, who, who rescued who, right. you know, like I had my kids, but you know, I mean, I parented them. They kind of reverse parented me. I don't, you know what I mean? It's, uh -huh. it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a trial by growing up. It is a trial by growing up, I, but I think any time, just to get back to John's thing and and cycling, I think any time you can you can be a team with someone. Any time you can be a team with someone uh, that produces better results for the two of you, like that is the thing to do. Yeah, yeah, that is it. Yeah, I mean, we often talk about you know lifting others up. That's a, a, a common conversation point in my life, you know, sure. what we can do to lift others up. Well, yeah, on the bike, giving somebody a pull, 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that I think that translates in all the other parts of, of your life. Like this guy jumped on John's wheel and they were a team for 10 miles. Um, you know, uh, a relationship is a team where you take turns pulling uh, in various ways. Anytime you can be a team with someone, I think you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Uh, and and I I miss those road rides where I would give people long pulls. Um, I, I've I have yeah. been on the road bike. I have always been more of a pulley than a puller. I would love to be the puller, but I somehow on the road bike always end up almost always end up riding with stronger riders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and have ridden more wheels than I have offered. Um, and the, and the only time I feel like I might be on level footing is on Hills and, uh, the pull is less, it's more psychological there than it is, <laughs> uh, physical. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Pulling fun. Yeah. I always liked it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to baseline picks. Okay, so today I'm picking Boshield T9 Anti-Corrosion Spray. Uh, gosh, everyone is excited. An anti-corrosive <laughs> spray? <laughs> Tell me more. Um, so what I know is that there are a hell of a lot of steel frames still out in the world. Mm-hmm. And those frames run the gamut, tube set-wise, from sort of thick-tubed, straight-gauge tubing, which is quite heavy, mm-hmm. to thinner-walled, butted tubing that is much lighter. Yep. Um, as an aside, one of the reasons you would make a bike from heavier steel tubing is because it'll last longer, even once it begins to corrode, uh, i.e. rust. (laughs) Um, so production steel got the reputation for being heavy, mainly because production steel bikes need to be heavy or else they're (laughs) going to fall apart. Uh, yep. Mm -hmm. It's a chemical thing. Um, you can make a very light steel bike, but then you really need your Shield T9. Uh, it's worth saying there isn't a chromium steel frame that won't rust. They'll all rust. Um, there's not a special tube set that doesn't rust. So what our steel riding listeners will want to do once a season is pull the cranks and seat post and ideally also the fork and spray a healthy dose of T9 into the frame. It's good. It's a good idea to clamp it upside down when you do this so as to make sure the protectant coats the whole frame. Mm-hmm. Um, let it, you know, maybe stick a rag in the ends of the tubes to catch the extra so you're not putting lubricant all over your floor. Uh, but this is a thing you really need to do once a year if you want to keep that bike going a long time. If you have a steel bike, do this, have it done for you. It's not hard, uh, but it'll buy you years. Uh, with your steel bike, especially if you live in a coastal place where it the air is moist and salty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know my my two steel bikes. I I did that before building them up, and I have mm. to admit, I have not done it again since building them up. Everybody says they're going to do it, and then they don't do it. Um. Yeah, I think there was something in my in the back of my mind that wanted to believe that, well, I did it, so I've done it. Right. If only but the system is not were closed. Either one or done. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, okay, yeah. Write that um, on your to-do list. Yep, uh, and that's that stuff 
really is remarkable. I mean, it's called Bow Shield because it was developed by engineers at Boeing. Mm. And they had the resources of the federal government to allow them to research lubricants and protectants and whatnot. Um, it's good stuff. Yeah, uh, those industries, those enormous industries have contributed a lot uh, in terms of specialty lubricants and things like that. I feel like we're doing an adult toy podcast right now. But <laughs> what I mean is uh, there are these things like uh, T9 are very well suited to this purpose. Um, there are a lot of lubricants and protectants out there, but this one is particularly it has the right mm-hmm. viscosity um and the right uh sort of uh stability yeah uh, there's something about it i remember reading years and years ago it it does a great job of leaving a film behind right yeah um okay well with that sexiness out of the way yeah. uh, <laughs> my pick this week is an e-bike i just wrote about for my day job uh it is one of the most remarkable e-bike launches i've seen uh, since I've been watching the e-bike market. So the bike in question, the e-bike in question is made by Aventon, uh, one of the direct consumer companies. And yes, that's how they like to say uh, the name Aventon. Interesting. That's uh, not how I've been saying it. Yeah, it wasn't how I was saying it either. Um, anyway, they so they specialize in e-bikes generally that retail between about $1,000 and $2,000. The new model is called the Romblus, and it's an EMTB. It's a hardtail, but has a mid-drive motor that produces, produces more torque than the motors made by Bosch, Broza, or Shimano. Broza makes all the motors in specialized e-bikes. I see. Uh, it features a 708-watt-hour battery, which is huge for an EMTB. Um, it's got a 12-speed SRAM NX Eagle group and SRAM DB8 four-piston uh, disc brakes. And in two moves, I found truly surprising, given the manufacturer and this slice of the market, um, they make this e-bike in four sizes. Um, most of the direct-to-consumer e-bikes come in one, maybe two sizes. Very often there'll be like a traditional frame and then a step through frame. Right. right. And they will both have the same effective reach. Right. You know, it's like, oh, oh. Yeah. Um, uh, Aventon also gave the Romblus a dropper post. Hmm. Uh, yeah. The small size has 27.5 inch wheels, uh, which is a very intelligent choice for that. Um, and then the medium, large, and XL all have 29 inch wheels. Um, the one miss on the Romblus that I see is that while they included tubeless tires, Maxxis Recons, they didn't spec tubeless compatible rims. Oh, good, good trick. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I can't imagine how much money that saved them. A, a, a buck a bike, two bucks a bike. Yeah. I mean, even if it was five bucks a bike, it can't have been all that much. <laughs> Regardless, that's not a shooting offense uh, when I tell you that this e-bike goes for $26.99. Mm. <laughs> it is a screaming good deal. That is quite a price point. Oh, I've been it, thinking yeah. about the e-mountain bike. Uh, again, I was out last week 
I don't want people to think I only leave home once a week, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I was out last week and I was looking at all these people on like E city bikes of various sorts. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, so you have an E city bike. I get that. That makes sense. That's your errand bike. But then I thought to myself, and it's interesting that you picked this particular bike. Uh, I was thinking, you know, what if you did that stuff? What if you what if you got an e-mountain bike and put a rear rack on it? And you could you could throw some panniers on there for your errands. But then you could just pull that thing off and ride it like a mountain bike. They both got sort of wide tires. They both got that upright riding position. I just I just been thinking like. Maybe I don't want to commit all the way to an e-mountain bike because that's not where I'm at in my life right now. But I don't know. It would make a just fine city bike with a rack on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this crazy? Am I talking crazy? Uh, you should go to the specialized site and visit the Turbo Taro. T-E-R-O. Oh, that's I, exactly I, yeah. what that bike is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, saw I appreciate it. your words. I'm not going to do that, but I appreciate <laughs> your words. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, but there are, you know, uh, to, to summon a prior point uh, about what we think about the industry. I mean, there is somebody thinking the way you think. Yeah, you know, uh, on the pedal bike side of the world, everyone... Everyone loves to talk about the quiver killer, uh, you know, one bike to rule them all. And I think once you step into e-bikes, like that same question still applies. I definitely don't have any use for an e-road bike. Not trying to yuck anyone else's yum. I just don't have use for that. Right. Uh, I'm not ready to commit to an e-mountain bike, but if I could loop a couple of uses into that bike, then I could start to convince myself. You know, I've... um I've lived N plus one, uh, to quite the degree. Um, and even at times when I have, uh, when my collection has been called back, um, through no fault of my own, uh, I still like having specialty bikes. And the, the thing I equate it to is like knives in a kitchen. You're not going to, carve up a turkey with a paring knife and you're not going to use a butcher knife to cut up a baguette uh you need some different knives i love what you're saying i do have a soft steel knife which is smaller than a chef's knife but larger than a paring knife and i use it for everything I mean, it holds the best. It's just the best knife. Anyway. Uh, Thank you for playing, ru- Patrick. Yeah, sorry. The Rumbless from Aventon. Yeah, yeah. Not a- not Aventon. Nope, nope. Yeah, Aventon. that's what I was saying, Aventon. Yeah, nope, yeah. Aventon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. And hey, we've had some new uh, music for a little while now, and maybe we ought to tell you who and what. Um, the the uh, composer, author, uh, I'm not sure how we would term Perpetrator. it. Perpetrator. Perpetrator, there we go, uh, is Crash Cadet. Um, find them on Bandcamp or wherever you listen to music. They're on Spotify too? Yeah. Ah, I'm going to go check out more of their stuff. Uh, as you found this and I'm not familiar with them even a little bit. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, Josh from Crash Cadet is a good friend of mine. He is a um, he is a mad genius uh, in the musical studio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Otherwise, you know, we all know how these endings go. Uh, please subscribe or comment, follow. Um, it does help us continue to exist. Um, but seriously, this is the world we live in. Uh, weird or not, um, we depend on our listeners to continue doing what we do. And if you've got a few bucks, toss it in the tip jar at the Cycling Independent or maybe even sign up for an annual subscription. Uh, there are three, five and $10 options. And with that, we hope you have a great week. Until next time, I'm Patrick Brady with John and Lynn Robot Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.